0: Time has come. Is we've got to go the extra step.
1: From the political science department at UW Madison, no compromise.
2: We want to get the job done. I'm Addison Lathers.
3: Geez, they're they're trying to they're
2: trying to balance the power here. And I'm Claire Salome. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake. And this is 10:50 Bascom. Today on 1050 Bascom, we're excited to have a couple of members of uw Madison student government, the Associated Students of Madison, here with us in a closet in North Hall. More specifically, we have Adrienne Lampron, the ASM chair, Reese Bailey, the shared governance chair, and Tyler Katzenberger, their press office director. For those who don't know, ASM determines the allocation of student funds, addresses concerns within the university community, and serves as the voice of the student body when in communication with the administration thank you all for being here today and we're very excited to talk through some asm related things we originally pitched this episode as just a sit down and catch up chat but the semester has obviously been a little bit eventful so we're going to ask some questions related to the upcoming search for the new chancellor the new developments in shared governance and then we'll do some more general catch-ups as well so since this is the first time for all of you on 1050 bascom let's start by going around and introducing yourselves and tell us your major and how you view your role in ASM.
0: Yeah, I'm Adrian Lampron, I use they them pronouns. Um, I'm a senior studying history and political science, so good to be on the podcast. I'm the chair of ASM, which means I chair student council and also kind of help out and support all of the the different departments that we have, everything from our allocated bodies that work on funding student organizations and giving space to folks in the SAC to our grassroots organizing committees, which are um, working on campaigns and projects to help improve the student experience. Amazing. Uh, my name is Reese Bailey. I use he, him
3: pronouns. I'm a junior majoring in acting here. Um, and I'm the shared governance chair, so I chair the shared governance committee. And I make sure all of the student appointees to the different shared governance bodies across campus are um, doing their best to represent student voices and student interests in the governing of the university. So I guess I'm like the, like the chief bureaucrat, maybe?
2: Great.
1: I'm Tala Katzenberger. Uh, my majors are political science and hopefully journalism after this next semester. Yeah, with uh, ASM, uh, my role is press office director. So anything that's coming out of ASM uh, official communications, anything that's coming out of ASM social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, that's coming from me. Yeah. And so my job is just to try to elevate uh, different campaigns and really try to get ASM's viewpoints, ASM statements, and ASM's legislation out into the public.
2: And what brought you to ASM? One thing we've heard from, especially new students recently, is that they're not super clear on what ASM is or what you folks do. So, how did you find your way to it?
0: Yeah, there are a lot of things going on on campus, so definitely makes sense that folks like don't always know about us. Um, I was involved in activism and organizing a little bit in high school around LGBT issues, and so when I came to campus here, I saw like the ASM kickoff, which is our fall like kind of intro event. and I decided to just go and get like free food and see what folks were doing for organizing and student activism on campus here. So showed up and I met a bunch of really cool leaders who've all graduated now, but um, just folks who are really passionate about working on stuff that mattered to students and like making life better here um, and uplifting voices of folks who might not otherwise be involved in the process and the decision-making processes. So I, from that moment, like, it was my freshman year, like probably my second week on campus. Yeah. <laughs> went to the kickoff and have been around ever since. Sweet! You're bitten by the bug. I got bit by the bug. I got involved
3: last year, uh, so I'm kind of new, but my kind of my pandemic project, I guess, is that I ran for city council. Me and uh, some of my friends felt like there were some changes that we wanted to happen, and we didn't think they were happening fast enough, so we decided we were just going to launch a campaign. Um, And it didn't go great, uh, (laughs) because I'm not on the city council. Um... (laughs) Uh, But we we challenged District 4, Alder, Mike Verveer, um, and it was a very interesting experience. And afterwards, I I met a lot of very cool people, like Adrian, and I was just talking and people encouraged me that I should get involved in student government. So I did.
1: Awesome. So since I'm a sophomore, I showed up during the COVID year. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess my path in was a little different. I guess I got here and there wasn't really a great way to find out about different organizations so I went like hunting for student government on campus I didn't really understand ASM but um, my start was in shared governance committees which I recommend to anybody who wants to get involved there are over 70 of them uh, there's really one for every interest even my stem friends found one that they that they liked so yeah I got involved with that and then I also did um, the grassroots organizing Academy which was our version of the intern program that year um, I got to work with some great student leaders um, I got to meet our awesome staff members, Alyssa and Kelly, and that kind of pulled me in and I was like, okay, how can I do more? And then ran for coordinating council. So, yeah, I think just kind of the takeaway from that is that there are so many different ways for people to get involved in ASM. Um, and I highly recommend the intern program and I highly recommend share governance.
2: We can definitely circle back to talking more about your individual roles and committees and such towards the end so you can plug all those things that you're doing. So to shift gears, we know ASM passed legislation in September intended to restore shared governance for UW students and faculty. And you passed legislation in November aimed to strengthen shared governance across the state of Wisconsin. So this was passed through the Wisconsin state statute, and it created a new statewide body intended to pass legislation and organize system-wide campaigns. And our understanding is that you all hope that other campuses follow suit. So this all sounds great. What would strengthening shared governance look like in practice?
0: So first of all, um, we're really lucky that the statewide body that, we're, that we passed legislation in support of already has support from a bunch of other campuses across the state. And it was actually started by the student government from uh Stevens Point. So we're really excited to be like working with folks across the state on that. And then that body and also uh, stronger shared governance at UW Madison for us basically looks like students having an actual say in the decision making processes that matter to us. So that's everything from housing and dining policies like how much our meal plan costs to um, the athletic board where they talk about all the sporting events that we have and policies around that um, to like the student misconduct panel where folks go if they break the university's rules and we try to make sure that students are well, students are like represented on those committees. So issues that matter to all of us and like our shared governance, it's important to make sure we have students there and that the students voices when they're in those committees actually matter and that they have a vote and like an official say, because there are a lot of places on campus right now where students are maybe consulted or are in an advisory role Mm -hmm. and are not necessarily a voting member or actually a decision maker Mm -hmm. on things that are really important to us. So for me, that's the key is like through this um, statewide work, through legislation ASM and other advocacy we're doing. We're just trying to get student voices to actually make an impact in, in all cases.
3: Mm-hmm. And just, just kind of as like a, just to go off that, uh, I think it's important to understand that shared governance as a concept isn't just something for students. Like faculty have shared governance representatives as well. And the discrepancy in, how, in how, how faculty are able to utilize shared governance versus how we as students are able to utilize it, I think is, is important because, you know, even on bodies where students have a vote, like the, um, the campus planning committee that determines like every building project on the university, really important. And students have, you know, an inherent need to be represented on that committee because we live on the campus. But we have one voting member on that community and, and faculty have like six. And the reason for that is is because of how administrative policy views the difference between faculty shared governance and student shared governance. So I think, you know, a, a real tangible way that shared governance could be strengthened for students on this campus is is kind of like what Adrian was saying, just like more voting members, more student voices in the room, making sure that students aren't there as advisors, they're there as equal participants in the governance of the university.
1: That's a good note. I think one thing I touched on too is um, just kind of the history of shared governance. So for those who don't know, uh, shared governance on UW campuses is actually enshrined in state law, which is something really cool that Wisconsin has. Um, It's a statute called 36.095. And it says that uh, students shall have the primary responsibility for advising the chancellor regarding the formation and review of policies concerning student life, services, and interests. And so actually in 2015, so um, about five, six years ago, uh, it actually used to say that students shall be active participants in the immediate governance of and policy development, which definitely was like a much stronger language. And so that was uh, paired back under the Walker administration. And so I think one of the things we've been working on too is trying to strengthen like, the legislative legitimacy for that because obviously uh, we're trying to fight for you know, more student representation on shared governance because there are 40,000 of us or sorry 47,000 of us on this campus now. It's growing and I think that we need to have more of a say in these shared governance committees and so yeah I think that kind of starts at the uh, state level and in really the root of shared governance in Wisconsin.
2: Interesting. As a just kind of a side note, this isn't part of the question, but we had this guest on like last month who is one of the higher ups in the LNS school right now. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, he was awesome, but he was mentioning that like coming from a different school to Madison was a really interesting experience in terms of having how decisions get made, just because there are so many competing bodies that really want to say. I mean, his, his take as an administrator mm-hmm. was this is so awesome that students do have as much of a say as they do. What is your guys' perspective on that on the other side as the actual students?
3: I think it's really important. I mean, like how Tyler was saying, you know, 47,000 of us. I mean, just by the numbers, we make up the majority of this campus. And the campus exists for us, you know, like it's not here. It's here so that we can be taught and we can do research and we can have a college experience. We pay for it we allow it to exist so most i mean most if not all of the decisions that are being made on this campus should be for the benefit of us the students if that's you know that's what the campus is for um and the best way to ensure that that's the case is to really have student input and i think you know just to to kind of go back to that point where you're saying like there is a noticeable difference in the speed at which decisions are made just because there are so many groups that that have to give input but i think that the quality of that decision-making process and ensuring that student voices are heard really outweighs any of the bureaucracy that the administrators have to deal with because it it is really important that student voices are heard because the campus should exist for students that's my two cents i don't know if anyone else wants to weigh in
0: yeah i'll also just add on on the level of Faculty and staff shared governance. The campus, like Reese said, is like mostly students. And at the same time, faculty and staff also get screwed over by quickly made administrative decisions mm-hmm. that are not made in consultation with them. And so the folks who teach us and help us make it through a day and do research on this campus, it's also important that they have their, their you know, needs considered in that too. So yeah.
3: Yeah. Everybody should have a say. That's
2: what shared governance is. Sharing the governance. So how would a statewide body work? Could you explain more about that?
0: Yeah, so the student government from Stevens Point has been working with folks across the state to kind of get this started this year. Ultimately, the goal will be to create a stronger student connection and organizing power among the students of all the different UW System schools. So right now, the only formal body there is to connect all the UW System schools is the UW System Presidential Council, which is literally two meetings a year of me and the presidents of all the UW System schools student governments. And that's not effective at all, (laughs) to be honest, like two meetings a year. You can't really do anything. So we're trying to make a body that would have the ability to do legislative and advocacy work across the state and mostly so we can have the opportunity to mobilize around things quickly that impact all of us UW System students. So, for example, the tuition freeze ending in the summer when that happened, all of us and everybody in a bunch of other schools started like scrambling to try to connect to folks at other schools to see how we could work together to either lobby or get more information or try to figure out what was really going on and what was gonna happen next for the tuition freeze. And it took a long time to like even find everyone's email addresses that we need to contact. (laughs) And there wasn't at all a strong connection between all the schools we realized. So based on that and also kind of organizing in COVID, also realizing that that was rough, um, the folks wanted to to have like a central body. So practically what's gonna happen is this year, all of the system schools, hopefully all of them, will pass resolutions supporting a statewide body for students to organize and then near the end of this year we'll probably have like a constitutional convention type of thing where representatives from all the schools will come together and make a formal plan but right now kind of what we're envisioning is just a setting for students to regularly meet who are representing directly the student governments of each school but also students who are like directly elected from each school to the statewide body so we'll have some different opportunities to get involved with it and then those folks would be meeting more regularly than just twice a year and organize at the statewide level for things that matter like tuition and in-state out-of-state proportions and international student needs and all sorts of equity work that impacts us across the state so yeah does that make sense
2: totally yeah, yeah. i didn't know about those twice a year meetings that's funny <laughs> that that's the <laughs> that's the official like solution right now yeah how do you, how do you feel about that <laughs> <laughs> well
0: it's very concerning um i mean that's why we're doing something about it It also, for those who don't know, like, historically, there have been a a couple of different forms of statewide student governance for um, the UW system. We used to have something called United Council a long time ago, which is a pretty strong body across the state, Um, which is kind of what we're trying to aim towards, but not exactly to uh, replicate with this new body. Um, Eventually, United Council kind of, like, became uh, not a great representative of students. Like, they kind of became their own thing, and so they were disbanded, and then there was UW System Reps, which was... Basically, folks from all the student governments uh, would meet maybe like a few times a semester, and that body ended up not being very effective because nobody on it was like paid for their time there, and it was all folks from the student governments of their institutions, so they were all like too busy already to do the additional work of the statewide level, and it also I think kind of dissolved in part because of COVID. Like they couldn't figure out how to proceed with it during COVID, Um, and then so for the COVID years we had, they started the UW System Presidential Council, which is what we have now. Last year, nothing really came out of it because nobody's sure like what it's supposed to do, and it's just a mess. So I would love to be able to work with all the like really smart and talented and creative folks in the student governments across the state, so we're going to try to find a better way to do that.
2: That's awesome. We're going to pivot and ask some questions about something that everyone is talking about right now on campus, which is the chancellor search. So it seems like the foundations are being laid to begin searching for candidates. Um, but we haven't had a search here in nine years. So what is that process like? Do you all have much of a say in that? And then how long do you think it'll take?
3: So first off, I can tell you that the university does not plan on having an interim chancellor. So I think they will conduct the search uh, until they feel like they have the right candidate, but they, they want to have somebody hired before school begins next, next academic year. As far as what the process is going to look like, for something at this level tended by UW System, they will probably hire, or they've already probably hired, some kind of professional search agency, or like a firm that will field the majority of applicants. And then once applicants make it through that screening process, they will move on to interviews. And then interviews are going to be conducted before this search screen committee. And that's that's how student voices are represented in this process. There's going to be uh, two student representatives on that search and screen committee, or at least there was two nine years ago, so we're assuming there's going to be two again. And uh, those students are going to have to represent all of the uh, 47,000 student voices on the campus. They'll be interviewing all of the applicants and then passing on recommendations to the, uh, the Board of Regents.
2: Okay. And there's bound to be plenty of debate about what kind of candidate we should be looking for. So based on student interests or what you all have heard recently, what would the ideal future chancellor look like? And are there boxes that need to be checked for sure that are on the short list of requirements?
3: So in appointing students to this search and screen committee, we conducted an application and we received almost 400 applicants, which is really exciting. And on that application, we asked, students what they felt like the top three issues the chancellor needed to address in their first year were going to be. And the majority of responses had issues surrounding diversity and equity and that answer on those top three issues. So I think that is something that the new chancellor is going to need to address. As far as like what that looks in a checkbox, I think it's going to have to be somebody that has experience working through those issues in a tangible way, not somebody that just comes in and says, I value diversity and equity and inclusion, somebody that has the receipts, so to speak, working on addressing those issues in a tangible way. I know that there's going to be a really big debate amongst faculty and academic staff on whether or not this new chancellor should be someone from outside of academia or somebody from within academia, um, because it doesn't. There's no job requirement. You don't have to have taught for x number of years to be chancellor. And I know that a lot of people on the university valued Rebecca's political experience in addressing issues surrounding how the state legislature feels about what we're doing, yeah. um, and that that is something faculty and staff are going to be debating on how much of political experience they want this candidate to have. And I don't know if there's a strong student consensus on that issue. I think just somebody that can prove that they've addressed this issue of uh, diversity and equity and inclusion in in either private, private sector work or public sector work.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I'll also add that as you might be able to guess from what we talked about before we really value we would really appreciate a chancellor who values and understands shared governance practices at ub madison like you probably know from talking to the other folks or someone who works in lns there are a lot of universities that don't practice shared governance and so if somebody's coming from a different university where they have like no idea what that experience is like it would be a rough transition for them um but also there, are, there can be folks who come in to become a chancellor from other academic institutions who know how shared governance works, or folks who come in from the private sector or from government who can demonstrate an ability to take input from folks who work for them or their constituents and make that into policy. Um, that, I would really appreciate that. Like, mm-hmm. I was on a search and screen before where um, we asked the candidates what their experience had, has been like with the trades folks on campus, so the folks who do like, our maintenance and are unionized and stuff like that and asking uh, like a kind of high-level administrator what their experiences and their relationship is like with trades folks on campus is very often Revealing? Revealing, yeah. <laughs> it shows how they see people um, that work for them and that they work with to make our campus better and stronger and I would, I would hope to see high-level administrator like a chancellor or the folks we were interviewing who mm-hmm. has an understanding of, of taking input from everybody regardless of their level and like position at the university mm-hmm. um, as long as they'll be impacted by their decisions.
1: And then I think I'd like to add to. Reese brought up a really great point about how the next chancellor is gonna have to be somebody who um, is really willing to go toe to toe with the state legislature. And I don't know exactly to what extent um, everybody might know about like the last ten years of Wisconsin history, and um, we've had a fairly hostile legislature to um, higher education in Wisconsin. A lot of students have a lot of different um, opinions and a lot of different maybe positives and negatives about um, Chancellor Blank's last nine years. But I think one of the things that has to be considered is that it was really tough to fight for higher education. And so obviously whoever comes in next is going to have to really be willing to fight for um, UW-Madison and the rest of the UW system uh, with the state legislature, because likely for the next five, ten years, uh, we may have another hostile legislature to mm-hmm. education thanks to redistricting in Wisconsin, which is a whole other mess. I won't plug my articles on redistricting. But yeah, I think inherently, um, you know, the university is tied up in politics because they approve our funding. And so, um, you know, the next chancellor that comes in is obviously going to have to advocate for student concerns. Mm. But they're also going to have to be willing to take those concerns to the state legislature. And, you know, they're going to have to be willing to make sure that they can keep going toe-to-toe with the legislature to get what students need and what faculty need and what academic staff need.
2: Do you think that that high level of interaction with the Wisconsin state legislature would turn away some otherwise really qualified candidates who just don't want to have to deal with that amount of political negotiation?
3: To be frank, um, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm being too honest here, but I think one of the reasons that um, a job at Northwestern might look so appealing Uh, to someone like Chancellor Blank would be that there isn't a legislature there. It's a private institution. There isn't a legislature there that's going to be questioning every decision that she makes at Northwestern. She's going to be able to make decisions more unilaterally instead of having to appease an outside entity like a state legislature. And I I think that is something that people who are applying for this position and are qualified um, are going to be aware of. That that's going to be part of the job description.
0: Definitely yes, and it is such an essential part of the job here at this institution that I would hope someone, I would hope whoever applies feels ready for it, because uh, even in our, our student government, in our own ways, we have to interact with the legislature. And the person who goes up for the job to be our legislative affairs chair has to be able to go and talk to the legislature, and it's rough sometimes, but sometimes it's also really helpful and productive, and can support students in our school. So I would hope that whoever's going to be our next chancellor can do that.
2: Just to cover our bases here, in case there's anyone wondering why such an emphasis is placed on the chancellor search, could you fill us in on why it's so important? We've been talking a lot about shared governance here, so obviously the chancellor is not the only decision maker at UW, but how much power do they have?
0: So I'll start by saying the chancellor does have a lot of power, and a lot of the decisions and action steps that students or other folks on campus might want are actually made by the folks who are like right under the chancellor, like in the chancellor's cabinet who are vice chancellors, associate vice chancellors, Um, and those folks have a lot of decision-making ability too. So sometimes if you go to the chancellor with an issue, she'll just say, oh, talk to this vice chancellor, or it's not really something I deal with, talk to this other person, which makes sense because our institution is huge and decentralized, and so one person can't know everything and do everything. Um, But at the end of the day, the chancellor has a lot of power over all those people that she works with on a day-to-day basis, and if the chancellor like has a vision for a university that is that is that that is going to really shift how all those other players are making decisions. So um, Chancellor Blank pushed for a lot of different things during her time here. So you can agree or disagree with how those things went or if you agree with the values behind them, but she drove the direction of the university in many ways and a new chancellor could probably do that too. So. At the end of the day, it's really important that we have a new chancellor who reflects the values that we want to have as an institution, and that's why we really are emphasizing like diversity and equity and inclusion in our search and screen process, and also in like thinking about who the next chancellor might be. Because as we've seen, like Rebecca Bank has put out lots of like statements saying like you know she supports equity work and is trying to do all these different initiatives, and yet students like many students are still struggling and not feeling really included on campus. Okay. So can we get someone who's, whose vision is stronger and whose vision will actually become a reality for like marginalized students on campus so they can have like a good experience?
2: Not to make it sound like I disagree because good leadership is obviously very important, but we've heard a few different schools of thought when it comes to shifting campus culture. It seems like one of those schools of thought is that culture change needs to come from students first rather than from the administration. Do you think that argument holds up?
0: Well, it's a good question. I think that the changes that me and a lot of other student leaders would like to see are things that students have been working on and pushing for for a long time and that students maybe are creating in our own spaces in the ways that we can control in the ways we can control little parts of campus um, and at a certain level the chancellor being on board would really help so there are many different ways in which different departments and schools are trying and, and have changed things and have reflected many different priorities across the campus because there's so many different i mean everywhere on campus there might be different things they need to be doing. But having someone in the Chancellor's office or is in other upper administration roles who's on board and who you feel like who you feel like and you can see supports you and supports these values that you hold, whatever they are, that's gonna really help. <laughs> and yes they can't like instantaneously change the culture of a university. But over time, yeah.
3: And I, I think it's also just important to bring up and kind of looping back to shared governance, if The iotis is going to be on students to address issues like this. It would be a lot more helpful if student leaders and student shared governance representatives were given the same authority that administrators or faculty shared governance representatives were in addressing these issues. Mm -hmm. If we... If we only have one voting member of the campus planning committee, it's hard to establish spaces on campus where these issues can be addressed or provide spaces for marginalized communities on campus um, so they can feel more included. It's easy to say that that's something that students could address if they could just change the culture, but it's harder to implement what it takes to change that culture in practice from an administrative standpoint if our shared governance representatives don't have equal authority.
1: Yeah, students matter in this process, but leaders matter too. And um, I think students, especially in the past uh, year or two, have been very clear about the priorities on campus, um, as far as making campus a more inclusive space and a more diverse space, and changing the culture from um, kind of a uh, more racially homogenous and kind of elitist institution to something that's a lot more um, open to other students and other experiences, especially marginalized students. I think, again, student voices have been made clear, and uh, I think they've been pretty well-defined. And I don't necessarily know if the response from leadership has always been especially receptive to students. And so I think that, yes, you know, students have a responsibility to go out and advocate for the campus that they want to see. But I also think that students have been doing that pretty frequently and that you know, our leaders have a responsibility too, to listen to us and make sure they implement those. And the Chamberlain Rock uh, situation was an excellent start to that.
2: Um, But I think we'd love to definitely see more and uh, more fruitful work in the future. Do you guys have any more thoughts in general on the chancellor search before we move on here?
3: Well, I'd just like to say if students are confused about redistricting, um, there are some great articles written by Tyler Katzerberger with the Daily Cardinal where you can learn more about that. I wouldn't want to plug him on this show. um, But there are some great opportunities to learn about redistricting. tyler katzenberger (laughs) and the daily cardinal yeah
1: fantastic let me just encourage to like um go ahead and check out the fair maps coalition um go ahead and check out 538 has an awesome tool for looking at different map proposals i think that really helps break it down in a a way that you can kind of understand a bit better and yeah it's just it's a cool issue and i advocate for obviously political science listeners to get involved
0: with it I'll add one more thing if we have time. If there are students or other folks in the university community who are listening who want to get more information or have some input on the chancellor search process, um, since there will probably be, well, there will be one or two students on the committee, um, feel free to send input to us, or once those folks' names are announced, feel free to send input to them about what types of questions you might want to ask or what qualifications you might think should be taken into consideration um, for those chancellor candidates, and um, we can pass information along. And we are hoping
3: to hold um, kind of town hall meetings with those two Mm -hmm. student representatives once they have been chosen um, and their names are released so that they have an opportunity to sit and listen while students bring their concerns or how they feel about the process. We want to do everything we can to make sure that happens either virtually or in person or in a medium where students Mm -hmm. can express how they feel about the, the next chancellor.
2: That was a nice little tie it all up circle back there. Well, I also have to ask about the UWPD and UHS Mental Health Service Crisis Response Partnership, which ASM gave serious input on. I mean, I was hearing about it from members months before it was announced, so it's been running for a little over a month now, and I've been meaning to check in on it. Do we know how it's going and have they responded to any calls?
1: Yes, we do. Um, first off, I just want to say, I think um, everybody in the ASM office is like pretty excited about this program. Back in September, we approved uh, over $3,000 right for the uh, ACAR for that program, so we're super invested in this, and um, you know I think it just really speaks to our values of supporting student mental health on campus, because obviously that's a huge crisis, and it also speaks to our values of trying to prevent police violence in these situations, trying to make sure that the right resources get to students when they need them. So just overall, this is an awesome program. And so far, it has been successful. So I actually just got some stats from Kelsey Anderson at UHS. There were 13 student calls that qualified for the co-responder program since it started in early October. And of these 13 calls, five occurred in the window where uh, mental health services co-responders were available. And uh, there was an instance where the um, team wasn't available to respond, but we have had four calls since the program's inception which uh, it sounds like all those calls have gone pretty well. Uh, It sounds like Sarah Nolan, who's the director of mental health services, has been uh, pretty pleased with the program. And so it did start at two days per week and it looks like it's gonna be expanding. Um, It actually already moved to three days a week for November. And they're looking to make it five days a week in the spring semester. So yeah, I'd say it's a pretty successful program. And I think ASM is really happy to be behind this as one of the groups kind of uh, working with the program. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything you want to add about the values behind the program or any insights you had like working on it.
0: Yeah. I'll say this program was a process where I feel like student voices from a bunch of places actually were able to, to give input. And it's the final product or the pilot we have right now isn't exactly like the ideal of what we would want. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's only four calls we've actually serviced so far, or they've actually serviced. But I think this is a good way to start. And We will hopefully be able to do more after this pilot, after this year, if all goes well, and do more to support folks with their mental health crises. And also, like Tyler said, make sure that the right resources are getting sent to address the right problems. When we have folks that are really struggling on campus with their mental health, it's not the best treatment to get put into a squad car. So we're hoping to keep working to protect our fellow students in this way.
2: What was the experience like when you were negotiating for this pilot program with the administration? Was there support for it among faculty and UHS in general already?
0: Within UHS, definitely, yes. Um, Sarah Nolan, the Director of Mental Health Services, is relatively new to the university, and I think she came in with an open mind and willingness to listen to students and share governance folks across campus. And so I've been really happy to work with her and um, other folks in UHS on this process. Previously, UWPD has been really hard to work with for student activists. And so I was thankful to have UHS as a partner in this and for them to say, we're gonna make this happen, um, was really was really helpful. <laughs> um, to have like an ally in the in, in the administration in that way. And the negotiations were kind of awkward because the the first thing was like last year, a lot of us were pushing for a a crisis response team on campus which is kind of what the city of madison is doing right now with the cares program the crisis response team is like sending paramedics and or mental health workers to respond to emergency situations that um wouldn't need like police so i would really love for our campus to have that kind of program instead of just a co-responder program where mental health folks go out with a police officer so we initially were asking for like crisis response program and uhs and i muted i believe put out like a press release mid-year last year saying we're going to do a co-responder model and we were initially like really kind of confused by the press release because we didn't know like the whole situation but once we talked more with UHS and realized like what was actually going to be happening it came it became more clear that like this is a place we can start and this is something that the campus has the resources for right now and ASM can support it in a small way but just um, something that we can do like right now to get this started instead of just Waiting for years and years until we have everything set for a crisis response team like the city does. So, yeah, that's how we wanted to start. And I was really happy last year that ASM leaders and BIPOC coalition members were able to meet with Sarah Nolan and other UHS folks regularly to develop this program. So, I'm hopeful that as the pilot is being evaluated, student input will continue to be taken into account.
2: Awesome. I didn't know that it was already expanding. That's awesome to hear Yeah.
0: And
1: even the city program, too, has been super successful. So their crisis response program is known as CARES. Um, in their first month, they had over 35 calls. I think it was 37. I think that's a precise number. But, yeah, I think those numbers and the numbers on campus are showing that co-responder models and crisis response models are working. You know, mental health professionals are the right resource for the problem. It is still early. I will admit it's still early. But at the same time, these programs, I think, have a promising future and It'll be really interesting to see where they go, and I think here at ASM we're going to be really advocating for their expansion.
2: We're going to start to wrap it up here, but before we go, we've been hearing a lot about open committees this past fall, including the new Equity and Inclusion Committee. Could you tell us more about what these open committees are and how students could potentially get involved if they were interested?
0: Yeah, so our open committees are one of my favorite parts of ASM because anybody can come and do grassroots activism and organizing. And whatever goals you will have for making our campus better, you can make them happen. Our equity inclusion committee is thankfully not a new committee. It's been around for at least a few years, and before that was called the diversity committee. And I was the chair of that two years ago. One of my favorite committees, but I'm biased, obviously. Those folks um, meet every other week and work on campaigns, um, like expanding anti-bias training for faculty and building connections between different diversity committees in various schools and colleges and also being involved in processes like the co-responder model and other issues on campus where we want to make sure that we're getting input from a variety of students and student organizations. And we have lots of other committees. Do you guys want to talk about any of them? I would love to. The best open committee
3: (laughs) is the Shared Governance Committee, and it is the best. Without question, I would argue, I don't think anything (laughs) even comes close. And what that committee does, uh, i chaired by a really cool guy, I don't know if you had a chance really? to leave. Yeah, really cool, really cool, uh-huh. But the Shared Governance Committee uh, deals a lot with like the administration of the campus, so we'll have regular check-ins with all of our Shared Governance representatives that are sitting on different governing bodies, um, like the UWPD Advisory Board, the Campus Planning Committee, the Housing and Dining Committee. There are 70 of them, so I can sit here and, <laughs> and list them all day, but um, we just, we, we make sure that student voices are being heard in the administration of the committee. We talk about a variety of issues and try to get student input. So our student representatives are um, informed going into discussions about administration. Uh, Just last week, or I guess this week, it's Friday, oh my God. Just this week, uh, we were discussing a new proposed policy for facial recognition. UWPD is interested in using facial recognition technology. And we were getting feedback on whether or not that was something that students actually wanted to see on campus. So that's the kind of cool, thing that the shared governance committee does.
1: So yeah. There
3: are also three more very cool
1: open committees. I'm partial to campus relations. I chair that one with our outreach director, Riley Kuhn. I think we're a pretty cool duo, if I do say so myself. But yeah, basically that committee just works on student outreach on campus. So one of the things we've been working on is pop-up town halls. Uh, Some students might have seen us out on Engineering Mall, out on Library Mall, out on East Campus Mall, all the malls on campus, Hmm. uh, to try to get some student outreach and get some student feedback on how things are going on campus and what ASM can do to help us maybe solve some potential issues. Uh, We're also planning with Sustainability Committee, which is another one of our open committees, uh, very cool, chaired by Ashley Chung, our Sustainability Chair. Uh, We're working on doing a Sustainability Town Hall in the spring. And so I think one of the big topics we are gonna be focusing On there is divestment, which I know is a pretty popular topic around campus, and it's something I think we need to do. But yeah, we're going to have hopefully some great panelists on that. And then finally, I won't leave affairs out in the dark. I personally love that committee. Uh, I got started with Legislative Affairs. Our chair, MGR, he's been doing some pretty awesome work, um, talking with state legislators, um, talking with other key people on campus, trying to advance shared governance initiatives. So yeah, I encourage everybody to come and check out an open committee. Out of the five, there's going to be one that you're going to like, no matter what your major is.
3: Tyler. What? Where can I go to find out when the committees are meeting and where? To find out when the
1: committees meet? Okay, well, I do put out a pretty cool media bulletin every week on Mondays. You can find that at ASM's KB, so kb.wisc.edu backslash ASM. But the easier place to find it is going to be at asm.wisc.edu. If you check out our upcoming events page you can see when all of our committees are meeting and there's no sign up required you can just walk in and join a committee once you're there you're on
2: sweet I love the plugs
1: there's a lot going on on campus between our governance our newspapers we're a very active campus politically among students yes and you know and it's not like politics in the sense of like you know what everybody thinks of like you know, dirty politics That's like politicians. And I think there's a lot of stigma around that, but I think we're kind of set out to prove that politics can be pretty cool. And then we can advocate for some um, cool issues on campus and try to create some real change that students are, you know, really motivated and really getting behind. So, yeah. Awesome. That's
3: right, fellow kids. <laughs> we're making politics cool and hip.
2: <laughs> Let's do a couple of more fun questions before we wrap up to reveal some personal details about your lives. (laughs) We've been asking people what their favorite weekend restaurant spot in Madison is and then what your favorite outdoorsy location to spend a weekend is if you're outdoorsy and if not what would you do instead?
3: All right so the first part of your question I would say my favorite place to eat in Madison would be Monty's Blue Plate Diner. Mm -hmm. It actually has the highest Yelp score? Is it Yelp? It's the highest Yelp score of all of the restaurants in Madison. Out of all of them? Out of all of them? Yeah.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah.
3: Maybe it's like the Google Star thing. Do they use Yelp? It's your restaurant. <laughs> it's on it is. But it's like a it's like a hip diner, um, and it used to be a gas station. Uh, But it's been renovated into a diner, and they have really good vegetarian and vegan options. They have a vegetarian meatloaf of the gods on the menu, which is delicious. Very, very cool. And then favorite outdoor place, I would have to say, is Governor Dodge State Park, which is just gorgeous at this time of year. Around this time of year, some of my friends and I participate in this thing called the Ring Games, which is like a live-action reenactment of the Lord of the Rings. that takes place in Governor Dodge State Park. I know it's very cool. I just said that on recording. That's <laughs> crazy. So <laughs> okay, um, you're an actor. Yeah, it's, just, it's a theater thing. Um, no, actually, that's that's a thing that started at it started at this university in the '70s, and there's like there's been like a group of graduate students that continue to organize it since then yeah so What?
2: how long does this take
3: it takes the whole weekend
2: wow yeah do you Reunite. like camp out out there yeah
3: you camp out out there that's fantastic. and fantastic run the ring up mount doom it's very cool very very cool everybody's in like full costume yeah that's
2: some commitment how many people turn out for this thing
3: i think the most i ever saw was like 150 oh my gosh yeah. that's way more than i thought yeah
2: fantastic those are great recommendations actually i love governor dodge
3: yeah, you don't have to dress up like a hobbit and run around. You don't have to Yeah. yeah. It's also just really pretty out there.
2: That's oh awesome. I looked it up on Facebook ratings, Monty's Blue Plate Diner has four point seven stars, but on Yelp they only have four.
3: Mm. Ooh. i oh my god, I'm gonna get cancelled. <laughs> it just slide on, on air. I thought it did. Oh man. Whenever I look up like best place to eat in Madison, it's always the first Um
1: I can go so for food. I'm a coffee shop frequenter. I just like to do my studying out of the house. Like, I love my roommates, but you know, studying out of the house is just nice to get in a different location. You know, sometimes and get some fresh air. So, I think my top three are Indie, which I'm partial to because I live near Michelangelo's, which is up by the square, and then ancora Coffee, and their yogurt bowls too. I yeah, I worked at the Capitol this summer, and it's like right there. Yeah. Otherwise, I guess like for outdoor spots, I love biking. If you ever see a dude on a black bike biking very furiously, it's me. Um, cause I'm very unique, you know, but, um, <laughs> it's honestly, I just, I love biking around Madison. Madison's such a bike friendly city, um, much better than where I come from, which is Marshfield. It's like a town of 20,000. There's not a whole lot to do there biking here in Madison. It's great. Uh, my favorite spots are like going around the Lake Loop. Just love that. Great views. Um, and then there's like the Lewis Nine Springs Eway, which is kind of like wrapping around the South of Madison. And within that, the Capitol Springs State Rec area. There's, like an awesome boardwalk that kind of goes over the lake down there, which is Lake Wabesa according to Google Maps. Ah. Um, and it's like a really cool, like straight shot. It looks awesome in the fall when all the leaves are changing. Um, it's a little too late for that, I think, but uh, next fall everybody should check it out. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of like my little happy spot. I'll go there in the fall, like once a year, and it's just nice. Like bike down on the boardwalk, like awesome trees. It looks cool. So
2: love it. Are you a winter biker?
1: I would be a winter biker if I wasn't so worried about the salt and sand getting all over my bike. But I do, the last two years, I have biked every single month of the year. So I guess, yes, I am a winter biker. Okay,
2: okay. But not like one of those religious winter bikers who will like do their entire commute in a snowstorm with their snow tires?
0: That's me. I don't have the snow tires, but I will bike at any time.
2: Adrian, quick wrap up. Do you have... A favorite food or coffee spot?
0: Yeah, I'll be brief. My favorite restaurant is Paul's Pelmeni. If you guys haven't gone, definitely go to Paul's. It's the best. And my favorite weekend place, if I was able to get there more easily, would be Grammaray, Minnesota. Grammaray is yes. so beautiful, and it's on Lake Superior up north. Tiny town. Probably wouldn't be able to live there. It's too small, but it's nice to visit. Hang out by the lake, and it's a good time.
2: Thank you all so much for being here. It was wonderful to talk to you and we would love to have you back at some point to talk more about what y'all are up to in the ASM world.
3: We'd love to be back. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you.
2: For more information, visit
1: polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Addison Lathers
2: and Claire Salmi
0: and produced by Amy Gangle.